tired here. Okay, there we go. 1 Corinthians chapter number 12 is where we are today. You guys know that we've been on a journey through the book of 1 Corinthians and it's been getting in our business. It's amazing how these Bible books are just as relevant and contemporary as if they were written to us in the past little while. So today we find ourselves in 1 Corinthians chapter number 12 and we're going to try to knock out most of this chapter today in one fell swoop. So let's begin in verse number 1 of 1 Corinthians chapter number 12. Follow along as I read from my New American Standard. Here's what God's Word says to us today. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I do not want you to be unaware. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to the mute idols, however you were led. Therefore I make known to you that no one speaking by the Spirit of God says Jesus is accursed. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are varieties of ministries in the same Lord. There are varieties of effects, but the same God who works all things and all persons. But to each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit, and to another the word of knowledge according to the Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, and to another gifts of healing uh, healing by the one Spirit, and to another the effecting of miracles, and to another prophecy, and to another the distinguishing of spirits, and to another various kinds of tongues, and to another the interpretation of tongues, but... One and the same Spirit works all things, distributing to each one individually just as He wills. For even as the body is one and yet has many members, and all the members of the body, though they are many, are one body, so also is Christ. For by one Spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and we are all made to drink of one Spirit. For the... For the body is not one member, but many. If the foot says, because I am not a hand, I am not part of the body, it is not for this reason any the less a part of the body. And if the ear says, because I am not an eye, I am not part of the body, uh, it is not for this reason any less part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? And if the whole were hearing, where would the sense of smell be? But now God has placed the members, each one of them, in the body just as He desired. If they were all one member, where would the body be? But now there are many members, but one body. And the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, or again, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, it is much truer that the members of the body which seem to be weaker are necessary. And those members of the body which we deem less honorable, on these we bestow more abundant honor, and our less presentable members become much more presentable. Whereas our presentable members have no need of it. But God has so composed the body giving more abundant honor to the members to the member which lacked so that there would be no division in the body but that the members may have the same care for one another and if one member suffers all the members suffer with it 
And if one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. Well, as you can imagine, what I just read is the source of a lot of controversy. Uh, there are a lot of people who go multiple and diverse ways with this and major on minors and I think miss the major point that Paul is trying to bring to the table as we study uh, these uh, few verses. But now, what I want us to do today is lift up from this passage a little bit, take the 30,000 feet view of this and see just what is it that Paul is trying to say to us. And I think the topic that Paul has before us is the meaning of spirituality. And you know that word spiritual sometimes can denote many different things depending on who's using it and also depending on who's hearing it. For instance, the word spiritual can be used sometimes in a derogatory sense. Well, y'all are just too spiritual for me. Uh, Other times it can be used in a totally pagan sense, like if you're going down the road and you see a sign for Sister Schubert's tarot cards, crystal balls, and palm reading as far as telling the future, well that's spiritual as well. But what does it mean when we use the term spiritual in the local church and what is the the, the Bible ramifications of this term spiritual? I hope it is your goal to be a spiritual person in Christ. I think that's the goal the Bible sets out for us. So what does it mean? So here's our topic for today. What does it mean to be spiritual? And now let me show you how Paul sets this as the central idea of this passage. Check out what he says in verse 1 of chapter number 12. Now concerning spiritual, and most of our modern English versions puts the word gifts in there. Do you see that? Does your Bible have it? Lift up your hand if it has it. Do you also notice that that word gifts is wrote in a font that's a little bit different from everything else in your text? It's written with italicized letters. And what does it mean when you come to a word that's written in italicized letters in your Bible? That's exactly right. It means it's not there in the original text. So here's what Paul says literally. Now concerning spiritual, brothers. So spiritual what? Well, we've got to let the Bible in context answer that question for us. And it just may be that the option of the translators that put gifts in here, because that's what he's going to talk about, may not be the best option. So let me show you what I think Paul is doing. I want you to find your place back with me in chapter number 3, in verse 1 of chapter number 3. Check out what it is that Paul says. Paul says, And I, brethren, could not speak to you as to spiritual men. Do you see that? So he very plainly is addressing this church and saying, I couldn't speak to you as spiritual people, but I had to speak to you as fleshly or as babes in Christ. Now let me show you what he does in chapter number 14 and verse number 37. If anyone thinks he is a prophet or spiritual. Do you see this? So the preponderance of Paul's use of this word spiritual normally refers to a person. Now check out if that's the case what happens here in verse number 1. In verse number 1 of chapter 12, now concerning spiritual, and if you just kind of read that as Paul's continuing to use that word like he has been, he's talking about spiritual people. 
So concerning spiritual people, and then chapter 14, he plainly says that because the word there refers to a person. It's in the, uh, it's in the masculine form in the original language. If anyone thinks he is a prophet or spiritual, then what we have here is an inclusio marking off chapter 12 verse 1 with the end of chapter 14. Now how many of you I just floated a word right above your head, inclusio? Here's what it means. Inclusio is a literary way of marking off a complete section and saying now this is one thought. I'm dealing with one thing in this, in this section. And the use of this word on one hand makes a parenthesis on this side and the word on the other hand makes a parenthesis on this side. So by the use of these two words in this section, Paul is putting brackets around this section and he's saying, I'm speaking to you about the same subject in 12, 13, and 14 and that is, what does it mean to be spiritual? So guess what we're going to look at for the next three or four Sundays? We're going to look at true spirituality. Because, I mean, that is a very nebulous word, isn't it? Uh, what it means to one person is not what it means to somebody else. And we've already established that fact. But even in the church we have different connotations and denotations for that word. So let's let the Bible speak and let's let the, the Bible define for us what a spiritual person looks like. What do you say? So let's walk through these three chapters and today again let's just put our foot in the water here from a 30,000 foot view and see what it means to be spiritual and what does the Bible say about it. So here we go, number one. I think right out of the gate Paul tells us that spirituality is different from our pagan background. Now look what he does as he talks about this. He says, now concerning spiritual, and if we insert spiritual people, brethren, I do not want you to be unaware. You know that when you were pagans... You see, here, see what he's doing? He's, he's going to contrast spirituality in Christ with spirituality of our pagan background. So let's just stop now and say, what is a pagan? Well, everybody in this room was a pagan at one time. When was that? It was before you were born again. You were a pagan. You lived by a certain standard. You had certain mores and rules that you followed. You had certain beliefs that you held dear to your heart. But one day you became a Christian. And you didn't become a Christian simply because you decided to change the direction of your life. You became a Christian by the grace of Almighty God who interrupted your pagan lifestyle in the direction of your life with the cross of Jesus Christ and by His grace and by the Holy Spirit, He calls you to be born again to a living hope. So He says spirituality now on this side of Christ really doesn't look like anything that it looked like before on the other side of Christ. Spirituality in the church, spirituality in Christ is totally different from our pagan background. Now let's stop right here for a little while. Why do you think Paul's opening and telling the Corinthians that? You better believe it. Because what they are doing in the church doesn't reflect Christian spirituality. It reflects more pagan spirituality. So Paul is really putting on his apostolic hat here 
and he's correcting a lot of false practice down there in Corinth. And he's saying this. He's saying, guys, spirituality is different now than it was when you were pagans. And we're just going to let the text bring some of those pagan practices out. Just suffice it to say today that when you are born again, the process of sanctification is replacing your old beliefs and your old behaviors with what now is appropriate and proper in Christ. Isn't that right? It starts with the renewing of our mind, Romans chapter number 12. But here's what happens. When, when we are young in the faith, not just young in the faith, I find that God challenges my thought processes every day. You'll never get to the point where that doesn't happen anymore until you get to glory. God's always challenging some of the things that I've always thought, some of the precepts and principles that I've always based truth upon. God still challenges those things and I, I find them confronted in the Word of God. Here's what we do. Here's why Paul's having to say that. You would be amazed how much of the very foundation of life which you live by and base things upon every day doesn't come from this, but comes from your pre-Christian days. Because your flesh had been programmed. And there's still beliefs that you're holding on to that are contrary to this that haven't been rooted out yet. See, a lot of times we just come into in the church and we just kind of baptize our pagan beliefs. You know, a lot of times we come into church and, and, and I know people who have, who have lived uh, as, as professing believers for years, but if you get right down to what they really believe based on how they live, here's what they're believing. They're believing that if I do good and please God, I can manipulate Him to give me whatever I want. You see, because that was the heart of what pagans would do in their worship services. It was about, if I can win God's favor, He'll give me whatever it is that I want. And you see, that's nothing but a works mentality, and it's not Christian, it's anti-biblical, and it comes from our pagan background. So Paul is setting up true spirituality against the backdrop of the pagan practices right there in Corinth, which some had even infiltrated the church. So now let's let him define for us as he sets out this standard saying that spirituality is different from our pagan background. Let's let him define that. So what does it look like? Well, verse number 1 tells us this. Notice what he says. Now concerning spiritual, and let's just insert people, brethren. I do not want you, or you can say this, concerning things of the Spirit, concerning spiritual realities. I don't want you to be unaware. Now you see that word unaware? Here's our key word in this one verse. It's the Greek word agnosis. We have come across it several times already in Corinthians. And it's the word which we get our word, from which we get our word agnostic. And agnostic simply means to be ignorant. It means that I don't know. And there's a lot of people today who wear that badge of agnosticism like it's a badge of honor, but it really isn't. What you're really saying is, I'm just ignorant. So Paul says, contrasting spirituality with that, here's what Paul says. Here's why it's different from our pagan background. It means that we are well informed by the Word. We are well informed by the Word. Because that's the contrast. Get this. 
pagans are ignorant. Now, I do not say that in a derogatory way at all. It simply means they are without the knowledge of Christ. Uh, They do not know. They've not been exposed to spiritual truth. Or if they have, they've totally written it off and rejected it. So, here's what Paul is saying. Paul's saying, differently from pagans who are agnostic and who do not know, who are ignorant, true spirituality, a true spiritual person is well informed by the Word of God. Hey, do you know that it's absolutely impossible to be a spiritual person without a high intake of this? Did you know that? And so many people today, again, professing believers kind of brag about how they really don't know the Bible like they ought to. And friend, that's not a mark of spirituality. You can't be a spiritual person. You won't be a victorious believer if you're ignorant of God's Word. Now notice what Paul says in response to that in verse number 3. I don't want you to be agnostic. I don't want you to be ignorant. Therefore, I make known to you. Hey, do you know it's impossible? I'm going to make a statement here. It might get me in trouble. But I think it's impossible for somebody to be a spiritual person in a church where God's Word is not taught and preached expositorily. You will end up being just as ignorant as, as a pagan in your community. Because what is it that makes us spiritual? It's when we are well informed by the Word of God. Now here's the deal. If you don't have any appetite for the Word of God, if you're not hungry for the Word of God, you're probably still a pagan and never been born again. Because the first thing that happens in a person's life when they're born again is they have a consuming desire for the spiritual milk of God's Word whereby you can grow. That's what 1 Peter says. So we all have a desire, a consuming desire for the Word. And the more we eat it, the more we want. For man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. So here's what spirituality looks like. Spirituality means that we are well informed by the Word of God. Now look what Paul does. In between these two statements of ignorance and knowledge, he jam-packs this little statement about being pagans. Verse number 2. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. So let's see how this relates to what Paul has just told us. Well, here's how it relates. It's kind of the opposite of being well-informed. Because spiritual people are well-informed by the Word, but pagans do not know where they're going. Check it out. Look what verse number 2 says. You know that when you were pagans, notice that's past tense, You were led astray. That word led astray, it means that you were off the main path. Uh, We would use it like this. If I was traveling from Tallahassee to Pensacola, I would get in the westbound lane of I-10 and I would set it on about 70. (laughs) Yeah, that's what I said about. I said about. I mean... 70, 78, that's still about 70, isn't it? <laughs> no, look here, I can't, I can't get no more speeding tickets. It's taking us an hour and a half to get church on Sunday morning. I ain't lying to you. And Heather's sitting over there saying, would you go faster? I said, if you want to drive and get one on your record, come on. <laughs> but old Pastor Richie ain't taking no more points on his license. <laughs> right, Jamie? 
And you know what lives on Highway 167 between here and Troy, don't you, brother? I'm telling you, Smokey Bear is in them woods. <laughs> he is just in them woods. <laughs> Where was I before y'all interrupted me? <laughs> yeah, I was on I-10 doing about 70. <laughs> That's where I was. About 70 in the westbound lane of I-10. Now look here. Here's what happens to me sometimes. I got one thing on my mind, getting from Tallahassee to Pensacola, so we got her laid back. We get about to the Funiac Spring, Heather says, I'm hungry. <laughs> Baby, we ain't got but just a few more hours. Wait, we'll be there. Says, Can you, I've got to have something to eat. So the next thing you know, I'm lost in the tall weeds and the Funiac Springs not knowing where Burger King is, right? All flustered. Can't even find my way back to I-10. Those GPSs on iPhones don't believe them things. They don't, they don't no more know where they're going than pagans do. I think a pagan invented that thing. Because they want you to stay lost is what they want you to do. <laughs> so yeah, here I am. I, I've been led astray. I'm off the beaten path and I'm out here in the high weeds somewhere and I don't even know where I'm going. And you know that's how pagans are. They really don't have any direction in life. They're just here living it. They certainly don't know anything about where they're going when life is over. Because they'd make some mid-course changes. Don't know where they're going. And now listen to me. That can't be true of us who profess to know the Lord and are a part of the church of Jesus Christ. We got to have a little bit more sense of direction than pagans. We got to know where we are, and we got to know where we are going. Hey, where is God taking you? Do you know the general direction of your life spiritually? What is God's plan for you? Where does He want you to be in a year or two years? You see, that's the contrast to a pagan that doesn't know anything about where they're going. They're just loving life today, brother. Letting it take them wherever it wants to, almost as if fate is in control of their life. I want to tell you, fate is not what's controlling spiritual people. Here we go. Notice as he contrasts still with pagans. Pagans, number one, don't know where they're going. And number two, look what he says in verse number two. You were led astray to mute idols. So not only do pagans not know where they're going, but pagans do not know their gods. Do you see that word, mute idols? That's the gods of pagans. Now that word mute in the original language literally means to be without voice. It means they can't speak, which is the meaning of mute. And do you know, you really can't know a God that doesn't speak. Did you know that? Hey, here's why you know God today. You know God because He discloses Himself to us. He has spoken to us in His Word. God makes Himself known. You see, my, my ability to know God has less to do with my intellect and my ability to know Him, and it has more to do with His ability and His sovereign will to disclose Himself to His people. Here's what Jesus said in John chapter 17, verse number 3. He said, this is eternal life, to know the one true God and Jesus Christ whom He has sent. See, the very essence of salvation is now we know God. And we know God because He speaks. He hears. 
He lives. He breathes. He gets involved in our business. He interrupts our life. He guides us. He leads us. He is life. But you know, you couldn't know God if He didn't speak. Did you know that? 100% of what we know about God comes from His self-disclosure or self-revelation to man by grace. But now on the other hand, think about a mute idol. You can't know something that doesn't speak, can you? Hey, I'm going to go one farther. You can't know somebody. You can't know a person that doesn't speak very well, can you? You know, that's the trouble with introverts. That, well, yeah, come on. I, hey, I am one. I am one, so I'm talking about us. You know, you know why folk don't, don't know us very well sometimes? That's right. We just don't lay it out there, huh? I mean, we don't. I, I get around extroverts sometimes and my ears hurt. I mean, good, good God, just a little silence. <laughs> You know what I mean? <laughs> I'm just hunting my ears are bleeding. Give me a little pause here. Take a breath every now and then. Here's what I do. Folk, you know, folks see me up here on Sunday morning and they think, man, he's a Gregorious outgoing extrovert. No, I'm not. I'm an introvert whom God's called to preach. I use all my words for the week right here. I'll be done. It'll be like a Spanish monk under a vow of silence at our house until next Sunday. Right, Heather? <laughs> I mean, I just use them all up. <laughs> But here's what I find about some people who I, you know, <laughs> this is funny, y'all. This is funny. Because there are some people, you know, I want to try to get to know them, but by golly, they just make it impossible. You can't know them. I mean, there's one guy. I sent him a text not long ago. Hey, man, it was so good to see you the other day. Just bumped into him at McDonald's. It was good to run into you. I've been thinking about you for a long time, wondering about what's going on in your life. Where are you? How are you doing? How are you and your wife uh, progressing? What's going on? He sends me a text back, one word, good. <laughs> I sent him a text that long. He sends back one answer, one word, good. <laughs> well, that's the end of this conversation. I don't know where to go from here. I can't get to know the guy because he don't talk. Thank the good God of heaven that he's not like that. He talks. He communicates. He discloses. He is not a mute idol. Not only does he talk, but hey, he's a pretty good listener too. Huh? So spirituality, a little bit different from our pagan background. i got to run to get through this. Pagans do not know where they're going. Pagans do not know their gods, verse number 2. And look at the third thing comes out of this particular sentence. However you were led. You know what that is? That's Paul saying, I don't know how the heck y'all got there. However you got there. That's what he's saying. So here's the difference between a spiritual person and a pagan. Pagans do not know how they got there. Hey man... How did, this, how did you get in this predicament? I mean, you, you, have you ever noticed that about people? I mean, my goodness, it's almost as to get in this kind of conundrum, you had to study a road map. I'm here. I want to get to deep, complex conundrum. How do I get there? Because <laughs> that's where they live most of the time, right? But they don't have a clue how they got there. They just woke up one day and they're living in a complex conundrum. <laughs> don't know how they got there. That's the way pagans are. But hey, you and I, we ought to be a little bit different from that. 
let's put the opposite shoe down now. Because if that's what pagans are, man, we ought to know where we're going. We ought to know God intimately. And we ought to know how we got there. This is how I got here. This is how I got from my pagan background to where I am today. And the answer to that question, Paul's going to give it to us in just a little while, it has little to do with me and a whole lot to do with him. Here we go. Check out this next thing. Y'all know it's been a long time since we've done this, hasn't it? It's been a long time since we went on an excursion, has it not? Uh, So we're going to go on an excursus here. Uh, for, For those of you who are just joining us, an excursus is just the word that the scholars use for a a short rabbit chase. So here we go. I'm not chasing rabbits. We're going on an excursus. Excursus. Again, that scholarly word. How many of you have been on a cruise? Huh? Man, that's that's a cool vacation, isn't it? No worries. Park your car. Get out. Don't have to worry about going anywhere else again. There you are. But when you get to your your destination, where do you go? You go on excursions that you have to book and pay three times the amount of what they really were worth, right? But you're on a cruise. So you don't mind. You're happy to give your money away because you're on a cruise, Dad. Look at me. I'm on a cruise. Hey, here's my money. <laughs> so let's go on an excursion. And here's our excursus for today. An excursus on spirituality in 1 Corinthians. And what I mean here... Say what, Heather? Did I miss? Oh, I missed one. Wait a minute. Well, holy excursion. Tour guide's not ready yet. Let me go back. See, I knew there was a segue here because pagans don't know how they got there. But look, here's the thing. Here's how we are different from our pagan background. Number one, it means we are well informed. But number two, it means we are powerfully influenced by the Spirit. See, number one, we are well informed by the Word, verse number one. But number two, we are powerfully influenced by the Spirit, verse number three. Now look what Paul says here. Paul says, therefore, I make known to you that no one speaking by the Spirit of God says Jesus is accursed. And then he puts the shoe on the other foot and says, it's only by the Holy Spirit's influence that you can say that Jesus is Lord. Now here's what we got to do, guys. If we're going to be good expositors, we got to make this fit the Corinthian context. We can't pull it out and just attach whatever meaning we want to. It's got to come from the Corinthian context. So what was going on in Corinthians where some folk were saying Jesus is accursed and others were saying Jesus is Lord? And Paul says, those who say Jesus is cursed are not saying that under the influence of the Holy Spirit who is ultimately responsible for making somebody a spiritual person. On the other hand, if somebody says Jesus is Lord, you know that they did that by the Holy Spirit. Remember I said powerfully influenced. Here's what's going on in, in, in Corinth at that time. There's this new cult that is setting itself up purposefully against the worship of Jesus Christ. And it's emperor worship. Because the old emperor sitting on the throne in Rome, this new movement of Christianity is spreading across his kingdom. And he's tired of hearing folks say, Curios Christos, Jesus is Lord. Because... In that world, there was only one Lord, and that was Caesar. So folk were were confronted many times with a choice. You either said Caesar is Lord, or you say Jesus is Lord. And we know that took place. We have one very well-documented account of a disciple of John called Polycarp, who was an 85-year-old man 
The authorities came and got him. They tied him to a wooden stake and put uh, brambles around him. We're about to set him on fire. And he was such a gentle old man at 85 to even those hardened Roman soldiers didn't want to do it. And they said, Mr. Polycarp, please, all you have to do is say that Caesar is Lord and we'll let you go. And Polycarp said, these 85 years I have served him and he has done me no wrong. How can I now deny him? Jesus Christ is Lord. And they set that old man on fire and he died. So we're not talking about a profession of faith like people make today in Bonifay, Florida where it cost them nothing. We're talking about a profession of faith saying Jesus is Lord that just might cause you to lose your life. And when the spotlight is on you and you're being interrogated, your options are saying Jesus is accursed or Jesus is Lord. And a lot of people were taking the first option rather than the second. But get this, more of them were taking the second option rather than the first because the Holy Spirit of God within them would not let them deny Jesus Christ and they would say Jesus is Lord even to their own detriment. And look, that's what a spiritual person looks like according to Paul. It's what a spiritual person looks like. They'll confess Jesus is Lord even if it cost them their life. And my Lord in heaven, we got folk today that can't even prioritize the worship of this Lord on Sunday morning because they won't give up two hours of their family day. And this is true spirituality that Paul is outlining for us. So let's expand this now into the book of 1 Corinthians and see what spirituality looks like on this excursus. Are you ready? Here we go. What does spirituality look like? in the? Because in, Paul uses that word quite often in this book. So it's very cool. Man, it would be very cool for us to do nothing one day except take this word spirituality, trace it through its development in 1 Corinthians, and come to a conclusion of what a spiritual person looks like. We're going to do it very quickly today. Let me just pull out a few rough points. Notice with me in, in, in Corinthians chapter number 2. Paul uses the word again here in Corinthians chapter 2. And look what he says in verse number, 13, or verse number 12. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, so that, there's a purpose clause, so that we may know the things freely given to us by God. See, the spirit of God who lives within us takes the word of God and we are well informed because we've got the author of the book living within us and He makes known to us the things that God has done for us on our behalf and the things that God has freely given to us. That's a pretty cool deal whether you know it or not. Now check out what he says in verse number 13. Which things also we speak. We speak about these things that the Spirit teaches us through the Word. And look what he says. We speak about these things not in words taught by human wisdom, but in those taught by the Spirit combining spiritual... Notice that next word is, is, is italics as well. Uh, the translators provide thoughts, combining spiritual thoughts with spiritual words. Now here's verse 14. But a natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, spiritual things, for they are foolishness to him. Underline this next word. He cannot, cannot, that word in the Greek means you lack the moral and intellectual capability to understand this. You cannot it would be like me trying to grasp Einstein's theory of relativity. I can't. I cannot. 
I don't have the cranial capacity to absorb those things. I cannot. And Paul says, that's the way it is. A natural man cannot understand the things of the Spirit of God. Do you know what a natural man hears when we're talking about spiritual things? When we're, thank you, thank you. The spiritual person hears Charlie Brown's teacher. Wah, 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 wah. You ever talk to somebody about spiritual truth and they get a glazed over look in their eye? And you know that they're on Pluto somewhere? You might as well quit. Because they cannot get it. Now look at what he says. Let's go a little bit farther. He cannot understand them because they are spiritually appraised. Now look at this. But he who is spiritual. You see that? There's our same word. That's what we've been following along in our text. And here it is again. He who is spiritual appraises or evaluates all things. So here's the first thing that a spiritual person does. A spiritual person does the otherwise impossible. Because it's impossible. You cannot understand spiritual realities except by the Spirit of God. He's the one who makes us spiritual. So if you pick up God's Word and man it just rings your bell and all of a sudden you have an aha moment, a light bulb goes off and you get it, guess what? You didn't do that because you're smart. You did that because the Spirit of God gave you understanding. And the only way we can have understanding is because the Spirit of God who lives within us, who is the author of this very book, tells us what he meant when he had Paul write it. So that's what a spiritual person does. First, a spiritual person does the otherwise impossible. Number two is found in chapter 3, because again, Paul continues this theme. 3 verse 1, Paul says, And I, brethren, could not speak to you as to spiritual men... But I had to speak to you as men of the flesh, as to infants in Christ. Now, you know what chapter 3 is about. It's about building on the foundation. So look what he says in verse number 12. Now, if any man builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, or stubble. Here's the idea. It's not if you are building, it's what kind of material you're using. Spiritual people use valuable material, right? Unspiritual people use flammable material. They use common stuff that you can just find anywhere. But spiritual people use valuable stuff. Here's the second mark of a spiritual person. Number one, a spiritual person, according to 1 Corinthians, does the otherwise impossible. A spiritual person has distinguished work quality. Work quality. A spiritual person realizes... That what he does, he does as if he's doing it unto the Lord himself because you are at this point. If you're building on the foundation in the church, then by golly it deserves distinguished work quality. Gold, silver, and precious stone. So that's what a spiritual person does. A spiritual person will give their very best to the church of Jesus Christ. Whereas a pagan will give his very best to his profession. Now I'm not saying we ought not be good employees. We ought to. But there ought to be a difference in what we do for our employer as opposed to what we do for the Lord, huh? There ought to be a distinguish, there ought to be some distinguishing elements in there. There ought to be some difference in what I do for the Lord and for what I do for my own particular kingdom. 
And here Paul is showing us in this entire chapter that a spiritual person has distinguished work quality. All right, now let's check out. Let's go to the other side of that parenthesis, that inclusio in chapter 14 and verse number 37. What else does a spiritual person do? Paul says, if anyone thinks he is a prophet or spiritual, let him recognize that the things which I write to you are the Lord's commandment. So here's what Paul says a spiritual person does in 1 Corinthians 14, 37. A spiritual person always defers to the authority of the Word of God. Do you see that? And here Paul is having to correct them and bring them back in. And by the way, it's in the context of speaking in tongues. And Paul is spending these two chapters in giving some correction to what they were doing down in Corinth. And he says again, if anyone thinks he is a prophet or spiritual, let him recognize that what I'm saying is not just me. This is the Lord's commandment. Hey, you know what we have? We have what Paul said to them right here today in the W-O-G, the Word of God. And here's what, here's what he's saying. If you're a spiritual, then you're going to recognize that what I'm saying to you has authority that's not just my authority, but it comes from the Lord. So he says a spiritual person will always defer. You know what that means? That means, you know, this is what I want to do. But here's what God's Word says Therefore, this is what I'm going to do. See, that's the mark of spirituality. The mark of spirituality is not being my own boss. It's not calling my own shots. It's not living by my own desires. But it's deferring completely to Him and saying, God, this is Your Word. I submit to it. I defer all of my wants, all of my desires to it. And whatever it says, that's what I'm going to do. Isn't that what Paul says? This, this means yes. If anyone thinks he is a prophet or spiritual, then let him defer to God's Word. Now check out number next. It's right here in this same verse. Our excursion on spirituality. A spiritual person does the otherwise impossible. A spiritual person has distinguished work quality. A spiritual person defers to the Word of God. And in verse 14, 37, a spiritual person clearly discloses God's Word. Now look what Paul does right here. I want you to underline this little word, or, in verse 37. If anyone thinks he is a prophet or spiritual. Now, this is a conjunction not of contrast, but of equation. You see what Paul was doing is saying, if you think you are, it would be like me saying, if you think you are smart or intelligent, is that a contrast or does one build upon the other? One builds upon the other. And that's what Paul is doing here. This or is a, it's a conjunction of equation where he's equating these two. If anyone thinks he's a prophet or spiritual. So we can say that Paul is equate, equating those who are acting as prophets with those who are spiritual. And here's what a prophet, here's how a prophet functions. A prophet is one who is gifted to clearly speak and pointedly apply the Word of God. Now here's what Paul is saying that against. Paul is saying that against the backdrop of those who thought they were spiritual and they were babbling in unintelligible tongues. And Paul says, if you think you're spiritual, if you think you're a prophet or spiritual, recognize this. And here's what a prophet does. 
A prophet clearly discloses the Word of God. Now watch me. You don't necessarily have to have the spiritual gift of a prophet to act like a prophet because we are all called to be preachers in some extent. Am I right? So here's how you know somebody's spiritual. What do they speak about? Man, they speak about what's close to their heart, right? Hey man, uh, uh, from the heart flow the issues of life. You get around somebody spiritual, it don't mean they're always browbeating you over the head with the Word of God, but you get around somebody who's spiritual and they just can't help it, it's going to come out sooner or later. It's going to come out. Hey, you won't believe what I saw in God's Word this week. Hey, let me tell you what the Lord's doing in my life. That's what He's talking about. A spiritual person clearly discloses the Word of the Lord. All right, here we go. There's our excursion. Now let's park that boat back on the side of our ship and get back on board our, 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 our ocean liner, okay? Here we go. What does it mean to be spiritual? Spirituality is different from our pagan background. Verses 1 through 3. Then in verses 4 through 26, here's what Paul says. Spirituality is demonstrated by participation in the body. Now what is the body? It's the church. That's right. Paul uses the analogy of the body. So here's what a spiritual person does. A spiritual person participates in the body. They fulfill their God-given function as a member of the body. Now, it may have been that down in Corinth, they had some of the same type of mentality that we face right here in Bonifay. And here's the mentality. Here's the greatest heresy that's gripping the United States of America today. I can be a believer, I can be saved, but have nothing to do with the church. And friends, that's heresy. That doesn't fly. That doesn't square with anything that God has said. So what Paul is saying here is a spiritual person... Spirituality is demonstrated by our participation in the body. Now, let me show you, there's no coincidence that he brings up this entire discussion about the body right on the heels of this profession of faith because I think this is what Paul is saying by virtue of association. I think he's saying that our participation in the body, this is the true profession of faith. Jesus' Lord was a profession of faith, was it not? He segues, he uses that as the dovetail, as the segue to go right into his lengthy discussion about participation in the body and therefore I think he's telling us that participation in the body is our true profession of faith. Hey, anybody can say, yeah, I'm born again. Yeah, I'm saved. But not everybody demonstrates it, right? Here's the difference between spiritual folk, between those who've truly been born again you are not going to separate them from the body of Christ. You're not. One by one, God's going to shoot down every excuse they have if the Spirit of God lives within them. And they are going to get to where He is leading them. They know where they're going. They're going to know how they got there. And they're going to know their God by participation in the body. I mean, that's just all there is to it. So I think... I think our participation in the body is our true profession of faith. I mean, just stop and think about it. How many of you know one or 50 people 
who claim to be born again but have absolutely zero interest in participating in a local church. How many of you? So what does that tell you about their profession of faith? Paul associates these not by accident but purposefully. True spirituality is demonstrated by our participation in the body. And verse number 3 with the segue tells us that this is the true profession of faith. This is how you demonstrate your allegiance to the Lord. By participating in His body. Check out number next, verses 4 through 6. Paul says, for this, for what? For participation in the body. For this, the triune God has prepared you. Now what does triune mean? It just means Trinitarian. God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit. Do you know what? Everything that God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit has done in your life up till now is preparing you to serve His body, to participate in the local church. Now, Pastor Richie, where do you see that? I'm so glad you asked. Check this out. You got your pencil out? All right, notice in verse number 4. Now, there are variety of gifts, but the same Spirit. Underline that word, Spirit. Who is that a reference to? Third person of the Trinity, right? The Holy Spirit of God. I look in verse number 5. Now, there are varieties of ministries... And the same Lord, underline that word Lord, who does that refer to? Jesus Christ. Second member of the triune God, Jesus Christ. Are y'all catching on now? Somebody tell me what verse 6 says. So what word are we going to underline? Who is that a reference to? God the Father. So please, you can tell me this, but don't expect me to believe that the holy triune God of all eternity has invaded your life, saved you by His grace, by the finished work of Jesus Christ on Calvary's cross, sent the Spirit of God to indwell you, and then you're just going to say, Nah, I don't think I want to do anything that he's doing in my life. I don't think I want to participate in it. You might as well tell somebody else that crap because I ain't buying it. <laughs> Cliff, I hadn't slipped out before I called it, son. <laughs> you just glad it was me, not you, right? I, I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, that's right. I'm sorry. I'm not believing that. <laughs> I'm not. Everything that God has done and is doing in your life, the Trinity, the triune God, He's done it to prepare you to do what? To participate and to serve in the body of Christ, which is the church of Jesus Christ. Look at number next, and i got to hurry here. True spirituality demonstrated by participation in the body. This is the true profession of faith, verse number 3. This is... For this the triune God has prepared you. And in verse number 7, this is the purpose of the gifts. It's the purpose. Now again, remember, all through these chapters, Paul is buttressing against tongues. And we're going to see that when we get 17. 
But here's one of the most famous statements that buttress against that. Look in verse number 7. But to each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. What is the common good? That's right, it's for everybody. It's for everybody. Your spiritual gift, in other words, isn't given so you can edify yourself and make, make yourself think that you're spiritual. That's not the purpose of spiritual gifts. God has given me a spiritual gift. It has little to do with me other than I get the pleasure of using it in His power and under His leadership. God has given me that gift for you. For you. Now boy, there's a mind-boggling thought for you. Just look at me and thank God. Say, God, thank you for giving me Him. (laughs) And guess what I do? I look at you and say, God, thank you for giving that person to me. But really it's about this. It's God, thank you for giving that person to Grace Church. Because we are better because they're here. Because the triune God has prepared them uniquely to minister to this body. That's why when we have a new members class, Dr. John and Dr. Cliff take y'all and, and, and get their arms around you and say, now this is who we are and this is how you fit in and we want you to employ your gifts for the common good so that Grace Church is better because you're here. Gifts are given for the common good. So let's check out number next and we're going to close this thing down. Spirituality is demonstrated by participation in the body. This is the true profession of faith. For this God has prepared you. This is the primary purpose of the gifts. And get this. This is the major point of Paul's analogy. It's the point of Paul's analogy. Did you notice what Paul did? Now we could go through there and pull out a ton of principles. We may do this in grace group. Time just won't allow us today. I'm down to 1159. About to cut this thing off like a salami. Paul's point of the body saying that every member of the body is important. Is it not? No matter how, what role you feel, because God puts you there, He gives gifts as He wills, right? Not what you want. I mean, how would that turn out if God let me choose my own gift? Son, we'd be in a mess, wouldn't we? And you would too. But God gives it to you according to His sovereign knowledge and according to His will. So here's the thing. This entire, this entire analogy of the body says this. There's nobody that's unimportant. Everybody serves a purpose. Everybody makes a contribution. No matter how little, no matter how prominent, no matter how public, no matter how private, everybody is important. And for this body to operate without, get this word, dis-ease, without disease. And by golly, everyone who God's put here has got to serve their role. You know every part of your body is important. I mean, look at your little toe. That's probably the ugliest thing God gave us, right? Huh? A big one is? Okay. So one of the, one of the toes, we're in a race here to see which little piggy went to the market is the ugliest. That's the reason I wear flip-flops to church. You take your little toe and uh, set it up here on this chair and let me take a ball ping hammer and pop that baby and let me see what that does to your walk for the next two weeks it's a little part right it don't add a whole lot of purpose does it well you just go ahead and hit it with a ball ping hammer <laughs> you're going to limp around because your little toes hurting <laughs> 
So here's what I'm saying. Don't tell me that you play such a small role at grace that we can get by without you. We really can't. It hurts. It hurts. When the little toe's not fulfilling its role or when the right arm's not fulfilling its role or whatever part it is. And you see, this is how Paul says true spirituality is demonstrated. It's different from our pagan background and it's demonstrated by our participation in the body. God make grace a church filled with spiritual people. Would you stand with me please? Father in heaven, thank you for your word. Thank you for being the one who is the grand architect and designer. Thank you for placing us in places that you have prepared us according to your sovereign will. There's nothing like being where God made us to be. And we know how we got here, God. It was by your doings. And we thank you for it. I thank you, God, for every person whom you have led to Grace Church because we are better because they're here. I thank you for those whom you are leading to Grace Church. I pray, God, that you would confirm in their hearts that this is the place where you want them to demonstrate their true profession of faith by participating in this body, making us better than we are for, your good, for our good and for your glory. So I pray for those here today, God, who maybe have never placed their faith in Jesus. Their profession of faith has never demonstrated that they have been born again and they are spiritual people. I pray today you call them to yourself. I pray for those whom you're calling to church membership. May this be the day that they make it known that, hey, grace is where God's leading me. I know how I got here, and I know He wants to use me here. So God, would you just do whatever it is that you're doing in our lives as you use your word today to change us for your glory. We pray it in Jesus' name. Mr. Cliff Myers down here on one side up front, Colin Dollars on the other side. If there's a step of faith that you need to take today, God's leading you to do something and you'd like one of these men to pray with you. Whatever God said, just be obedient to Him.